Take your Bibles and turn to Haggai, Haggai chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. Go to the book of Matthew, work your way back just a little bit. You'll see it nestled between the books of Zephaniah and Zechariah. That helps you a lot probably, but Haggai chapter 1. We'll look at this little book the next couple weeks and see God's message for us. And you know, the last few weeks, perhaps you've had a little time off. Some of you have. Uh, you've probably had some moments with the family. You had some moments you could just kind of kick back and maybe uh, just do nothing if that's what you wanted to do. It, it was probably a, a good time for rest and relaxation. But now you realize those weeks are coming to an end, or they have come to an end. Next, tomorrow, most of us, We'll be back in the routine. Many of us, some of us, will even be in school and we'll be doing our thing tomorrow. I, I looked at my children this week and I said, are you all ready to go back to school? <laughs> A lot of parents are right now. And uh, they admitted that there's a part of them, though, that would like to see their friends. And they would like to go back for the relational part of that, but not the work part of school. And you understand that. Some of us, you know, we're, we've enjoyed the last few weeks and, and, and yet we know that it's time to get back into the routine. Well, as we look at the book of Haggai, as we look at the message of the prophet, you see him speaking to the people about a time that has come, a time to get to work. And this is the way he delivers his message. It says in verse 1 of that first chapter, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now let me set this book and the message in context for just a moment. Many of us, as we understand the the history of Israel, we know that it had reached the zenith under David and Solomon. It was a great kingdom. And yet after that, it was divided because of disobedience. And for many years, they battled one another. They struggled with foreign enemies. And before you know it, the southern kingdom in particular, the kingdom that was left, was totally destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. In 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar had come through and he was tired of Jewish resistance. He was tired of Jewish insurrection. And he said, I am going to put an end to it once and for all. He marched into Jerusalem. He destroyed that city. And he totally annihilated the temple. He, he reduced it to simple rubble. And he took the best, the best and the brightest of the Jewish minds to Babylon, 586 B.C. But you know, God always hears his people. And God is always going to take care of his people. Do we believe that? 
God's always going to do that. Now listen to me. There are moments where we mess up and God's discipline comes into our lives. And that's what the nation of Judah had experienced. That's what the Israelites had experienced through the discipline of God. But God was not through with his people. God was going to intervene. And his merciful intervention, he brought forth a Persian empire to, to totally take over the world as we would know it at that time and destroy the Babylonians. And King Cyrus came in, and in 538, he issued this decree so that the Jews could go back to their land and rebuild the temple. 538. Well, fast forward, if you will, to 520 B.C. That's really where this book is set, and the message is set. 520 B.C., 18 years after King Cyrus had said, you can go back and you can rebuild your nation and you can rebuild the temple itself. Haggai comes with a message. You got to get the building. Now think, 18 years. You would think at this moment that the temple would have been rebuilt, right? But obviously, those who returned had some, at least the beginnings, the proto-Baptist spirit in them. They probably had to get together and issue a study committee for a while to see that if it would be in the strategic plan of the community. They probably had to analyze everything, put everything together. Then they had to put a building committee together. And you understand when you put a building committee together, you've got all the other things that goes along with that. You have to have a decorating committee and you have to have a structural engineering committee. You have to have all those things. And maybe that's what had been happening in the last 18 years. I don't know, but... All I can tell you is the temple had not been rebuilt. The temple, which was to be the very house of the Lord. Now, we think of the church sometimes as the house of God. You'll hear people. I remember when I was younger, I was coming up, it was often expressed that we are going to the Lord's house when we'd go to church on Sunday morning. And there is something kind of significant for us in many of our minds about the church and the sanctuary. Wouldn't you agree? At least some of us that were, some of our, us that were raised, uh, raised in the older generations, okay? <laughs> for the sanctuary, there's something that is significant. And yet, understanding the New Testament... The church is not the house of the Lord. Each believer is the house of the Lord. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit as he resides in us. So think about how we look at the sanctuary and think of it. And then I want you to magnify that exponentially as you think about the temple and the way the those Jewish minds would have looked at the temple. It was the place of God. It was the center of activity. It was the center of worship. It was the center of life for the people of Israel. And here Haggai comes and he says, we've got to rebuild this. For some reason, we have waited. And I want you to see his message speaks to a people, God's people, God's people, those who had forsaken God's work. You see, this is the problem of the book. God's people forsook God's work. And notice 
what they say. He speaks to the leadership and he says to them, verse 2, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. They're saying to themselves, It's just not the right timing. We, we, we don't have it all together. We, we just, right now, we cannot do it. And the way the Hebrew is phrased here is that they continued to say that. That it was repeated over and over. This was their excuse. They would come before uh, God and they would come before the leadership and they would simply say, it's just not the right time to rebuild that temple yet. It's just not the right time. Now, a few weeks ago, I heard uh, a pastor preach a message on Wednesday night about timing is everything. It was tremendous. Any of you hear my message? Any of you? It, it was awesome. We should have recorded that. Timing is, and, and timing is everything. I, I truly believe that, that God's timing is everything. But I want you to note here that God's timing, God's word had said, build now they're saying to themselves it's not the right time but for god it is the right time notice the emphasis upon this being god's word to the people notice over and over again that there's the emphasis that the origin of this message is from the lord you see haggai delivering the message of the lord it's even like in verse 3 where it stops again and says, The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying that the timing, as God saw it, was perfect for the rebuilding of the temple. And, and he said, It's time to get to work. You know, there are moments in our lives, too, even collectively and individually, where we need God to speak through his own representatives and just say, it's time to work. It's time to get to work. Now, I kid, I, I was kidding a moment ago when I talked about we as Baptists forming committees and having all kinds of preparation. And I believe in preparation. I believe in making sure that you have, you've looked at everything and that you've understood things. I, I certainly do believe in all of that. But I think that there are moments in our lives where God needs to simply speak to us, and he is speaking to us, but he needs to speak to us in such a clear manner that we will hear the message that it's time to get to work. It's time, it, it's not time to pray about it anymore, not against prayer. It's not time to study it anymore. It is time to get to work. And that is what Haggai is saying to these people that the moment has come we are to rebuild the temple perhaps there is some significance in that the message the first of four messages that Haggai delivers in this book comes upon the first day of the month because if you were to look back you would note that the first day of the month was associated with festivals and celebrations as it related to the temple. It would be a great festification the first day of the month. Uh, Haggai's name, it even means something like festive or festival. 
It means something to celebrate. And, and it's almost like he's saying, hey, if we had had this temple rebuilt, do you know what kind of celebration we would be having right now? We've waited 18 years. And it's been 18 years when we have lacked that sense of celebration and that sense of joy. Even while we were in captivity, even while we were there in Babylon, we were longing for God's presence. We were longing for God's work. And now we're here, and yet we have allowed our own priorities to get in the way and keep us from building this temple. Well, you'll see in verse um, 4 that Haggai, the good preacher here, uses a rhetorical question. He says, as he confronts their issue of timing, he says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? That rhetorical question probably stung the audience. And questions have a way of speaking significance to us. And this question in effect says, so you say it's not time to build the temple, and yet you have found time to rebuild your homes. Uh, God's house doesn't even have a roof yet. And you have placed many upon your own homes. And, and perhaps even the leadership, although there probably wasn't much that they were starting with. I mean, this was an exiled group of people coming back to nothing. But somehow, perhaps, even the leadership had, had allowed these paneled walls, these, these moments of luxury into their lives. And the question is, why would you rebuild your own and not give attention to God's work and to God's house? I must admit to you that that brings a lot of conviction to me. Well... Not that we're rebuilding temples today because I told you that we individually, we represent the temple of God to individuals, to others. So I'm not talking about coming and just building more brick and mortar. What I'm saying to you is that it is very easy for us to neglect the work of God because of our own priorities and our own work. There's so many things that go on in our lives to keep us from focusing upon the work of God. I mean, think of them. Think of all the distractions they had. I mean, they had the distractions of like Fox News and CNN back then. They probably had... They, they had kids that were sitting around playing the Wii and the DS that were kind of distracted them. They had problems at their job sites. They had... Well, they had distractions. We know that they did. And they were given to their own priorities, to their own privileges, to their own pleasures. And think if they did then, think of all the things now that really try to vie for our attention and devotion. It's amazing, isn't it? And I'm not saying all those things are bad things. Some of them are good things that we have in life today. 
And yet somehow we allow those things, those items to come into our lives and prevent us from looking at what God intends for us to be doing. The priorities of our lives. There's nothing wrong with going camping, right? There's no, I thought I had a few campers in this place. There, there's nothing wrong with job promotions. There's nothing wrong with going out into the woods and enjoying God's nature, even with a rifle in your hand, right? There's nothing wrong with those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with them. But we must be careful that they do not distract us from God's work and God's priority for our lives. We must be very careful. You see, I don't think these were bad people. Many of them had, had suffered for quite a while in captivity and they had come back and their, their children. They were not bad people. These these folks that were being confronted, it's just that they had turned their attention to their own personal agendas. And they had neglected God's agenda. God had said it's time to rebuild the temple. They kept arguing with the timing. Well, God, you know, we'll get to that someday. We'll work on that, but it's just not today. And yet God speaks to these individuals just as he speaks to us today. And he says, it is time to get to work. God's people forsook God's work. And I want you to note as you read the rest of this chapter that God's people will forfeit God's wealth. They, they would forsake his work they would forfeit his wealth listen verse 6 you have sown much and bring in little you eat but do not have enough you drink but you are not filled with drink you clothe yourselves but no one is warm and he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Verse 9, you look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock. And on all the labor of your hands. They had forfeited God's wealth, his blessing upon them. Now, let me say this clearly. There are many people out there today that would say something like this. If you do everything right, you're going to get blessing. If, if you try, you're going to get blessing. And you know what? If you try hard enough... God's going to give you such immense blessing that you won't know what to do with it. And when I say blessing, financial blessing. And you'll hear that oftentimes. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel. I'm not going to come to you and say, 
if you do everything right, then you'll just be blessed beyond measure. And the only reason anybody's poor today is because they're sinful. I'm not saying that. But that is the message you get from some people, right? Not saying that. But let me say this to you. God is the source of all blessing. Everything that we have, every blessing that comes into our life is a gift from above. And there are moments in our lives where we do forfeit that blessing and that wealth because we are more concerned about our own priorities and our own kingdoms instead about his priority and his kingdom. What's interesting here is the irony of this. They have given themselves to their own personal pursuits. They have given themselves to their own kingdom building, their own houses, their own personal agendas. And yet, they, they have actually forfeited God's true blessing upon their lives. And now notice what he says again. He said, you so much, bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Some of you have experienced that before, haven't you? Feel like a daily trip to the mall there. You earn money, but it's like the money just keeps slipping away. You put it in your pockets and it seems like it disappears in a moment. He says, you go out and you sow and you make all the efforts for your own kingdom. And yet, you you reap just little. You, You eat. Now, this one bothers me personally here. You eat, but you are not content. You're not fulfilled. You drink and you're not satisfied. He says, you go through all of these motions and you're building your own agenda. And yet, in the end... You are not finding contentment. Do you know how sad that is? That you can miss the refreshment of God's blessings in your life. I could not even envision taking a bite of lemon icebox pie and not enjoying it. I can't even envision that. But he says, you have some, but you're not really satisfied. You're not really content. Because get this. You you can make your own efforts in life and, and you can try to build your own kingdom. But only God's the one that brings contentment and satisfaction to you. And if you're not given to his priority and to his kingdom building and to his purpose, why would you ever be satisfied? Why would you ever... Be content because I believe that God has wired us in such a way. We as believers, those that God has called to him, he has saved us and he is growing us and he has placed within us a desire to serve him and to follow him and to place him above ourselves. And if he has placed that inner desire within us, then we will never be content unless we are fulfilling that desire. Unless we are giving ourselves to that pursuit, we will never be content. We can have all the things in life. I'll never forget the way one preacher gave the illustration. He said, 
Money can buy you a $50 steak. But only God can give you the appetite to enjoy it. I've thought about that many days. We can have all the things of our own. And yet we can still go unsatisfied. And notice what God says here. God God says the reason is because they have forsaken his work. Uh, He says in verse 9, you look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, get this image. I blew it away. You, you, you accumulated some things. You got it. You thought you had finally overcome. You brought it home. You had it. And then, whew. perhaps it was an unexpected medical bill. Perhaps it was an unexpected charge. But God said, I blew it away. Just to remind you that I'm the one who gives. I am the one who provides. Not you accumulating what little you can bring. He says, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. Do you know how significant that is? For an agrarian-based economy, for a nation that is dependent upon growing crops, that the dew would be withheld, especially at this time. Now, again, if you look at the dating of this message that came, it was in 520 B.C. Actually, it came in the month we would identify as August. August. Now, some of you have been to Israel, you know that a lot of it's... Seasons, climates will roughly reflect ours. So August is what? Pretty mild here in the state of Louisiana. No, it's hot. And a lot of times you don't have that much rain. You're coming through the summer in that Palestinian area, that Israelite area. Basically, you have all of your rainfall, or at least most of your rainfall, six months out of the year. And then you have this drought during the summer, especially by the time you get to August. In August, they are so dependent upon the dew to at least provide some moisture. And what God says is that I have even withheld the dew from you. And in verse 11, for I called for a drought on the land and the mountains... Note this, on the grain and the new wine and the oil. Basically, the three basic crops of the area. On whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. You see, this reminds me that we can go about our own business and we can try to build our own kingdoms and we can try to make all the money, find all the resources in the world. But God is still God. And God is the one that is in charge of blessing. And if we forsake his work, then I truly believe we forfeit his wealth, his blessing upon our lives. 
If we decide to go into our own kingdom and do our own things, I really believe that we forfeit his contentment upon our lives. And this is what he says to his people. Matthew, as he records the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, says this. I think it's Miss Ruth Potts' favorite verse, or at least she tells me every time I go see her. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Remember the context of that passage? He had been talking about the things of life and how we worry about them and how we're concerned about them. And when he comes down to it, after just challenging his disciples not to worry and not to be overly concerned, he just simply says to them, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things, all these necessities of life, all the things that you need, all these things will be added. They will be taken care of. If you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And isn't that still the challenge for us today? Here, the people of Judah, they had given to their own agendas, building their own houses. They had forgotten the house of the Lord. They had made excuse. And yet those words of Jesus still ring. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. There are a lot of resolutions we make around this year. My family and I have made a few. My wife has made a few for us, especially when it's applied to our diets. There are a lot of things that we make resolutions about. But oh, if we could resolve as individuals and as a church to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To seek ye first the kingdom of God in 2015. All the other things, all the other things will will work itself out. All the resources we would ever need would be there if we had seek the kingdom of God. Well, it's really a great response that you see of the people. Because... When you look at this, God's people follow God's word. Now, verse 5, he had said, consider your ways. Verse 7, he had said, consider your ways. The repetition of the preacher, just to remind them, they need to listen, they need to hear, they need to respond to God's word. And look, when we follow God's word, we first start by just simply hearing it, and considering our ways. And I do believe it starts with the leadership and goes to each and every believer. Remember, he had spoken to the leadership of this nation. He had spoken to Zerubbabel, which had become the governor of this area. So he had been appointed. He had spoken to Joshua, the high priest. He had said to them, consider your ways. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it should start with the leadership and it should infect every believer that's a part of this body. Seeking first the kingdom, it should start with the pastor and it should start with the staff and it should start with the deacons and it should start with the Sunday school teachers. 
It should start with the leadership and it should work its way out into all of our lives. To seek first the kingdom. Consider your ways. Listen, hear the word, he says. And then, verse 8, he had said, Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. He says, you consider the word, you hear it, and then what? Get to work. Take out your axe. Start chopping down some trees. It's time for my house to be rebuilt. Later on, it says in verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke with the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the house of the Lord of hosts, their God on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. It says as God's message continued out to the people for all of these days afterwards that God's word was heard, people considered their ways, they followed, they started chopping down trees, and they started building the house of the Lord because God's work... And God's word had permeated the people and they were stirred. They were renewed. And sometimes that's just all we need, isn't it? The challenge of God's word in our lives to renew us. See, some of us come here this morning and we can say, Yeah, we know that we're supposed to be following his agenda. We know we're supposed to be seeking first the kingdom of God. We know those things. And the people of God here in this passage, they would, have, they would have agreed that the temple needed to rebuilt, be rebuilt as well. They knew that. But now they had been challenged. And now they had been stirred. And the Spirit of God had moved within them. And they committed themselves to the work. And they got up and they started building. Now, friends, I'm not saying today that we haven't been building. I'm not saying today that we're not about the kingdom of God. I'm not saying this past year has just been about ourselves. I'm not saying that. But what I want to do is challenge you to a greater level of ministry and work this coming year. That this coming year we would see God use his people to achieve his glory in a way that we have not seen it in years past. That we would pray that, that we would seek that, that we would follow his interest and his priority as he moves within us. I pray that we would simply get to the work. I would pray that this day we commit in our lives Not only to hear his word, but to obey it. I really believe that some of us today in this place, we need to pick up an axe. We need to start chopping the tree. We need to do what God has called us 
to do. The distractions will try to stop you. The good things of life will try to prevent you from being about God's work. But I say to you, endure, persevere, allow God to challenge you to do something this year for him that would be greater than you could have ever imagined. So that when we come to this place one day, using the biblical language, the ears of those who would hear about it would tingle to know that God's work was being accomplished in such mighty power and presence. He's with us. Amen? He's with us in this work. Would we be obedient? Let's pray together. Father, we bless your name this morning. We thank you for the task you have called us to. Lord, you have reached out to us and you have provided us such a great and wonderful work to be about. Father, your kingdom is so much greater than our kingdoms could ever be. Thank you for allowing us to be something, to be a part of something that is eternal. And God, this day, would you challenge us? Would you stir our spirits? Would you renew us to a recommitment of coming before you and making a difference for you, for your kingdom this year? We pray it now in Jesus' name.